The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, it's Monday and you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, here's a startling figure. 50,000 virus cases a day in the UK. Well, that is the warning from the chief scientific advisor, Patrick Vallance. He says it could happen by mid-October if the current infection rate isn't halted. A huge concern building here about a second wave, where it's going, how it will affect us. And that urgency is being echoed by the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps. It is clear that we are just a few weeks behind what we're seeing elsewhere in Europe. You only have to look at what's happening in France and particularly Spain. And you can see that um, things have taken off there, including, I'm afraid, deaths. So it is very important that we do everything we can to sort of bear down on this. The Transport Secretary grants traps there, and that comes as parts of Lancashire, Merseyside, West Yorkshire and the Midlands will now see measures imposed tomorrow. Boris Johnson also weighing up whether to do the same in London. This follows an LBC report that said the Mayor Sadiq Khan will recommend tightening rules today. That said, Labour's shadow Chancellor Annalisa Dodds has refused to comment on whether she'd support a second lockdown. Clear communication is very, very important from government. We would not want to dilute any message that government might believe is justified on the basis of the scientific evidence. But please, let's do all that we can. Let's get government to do all it can to avoid that eventuality. That was Labour's shadow Chancellor Annalisa Dodd speaking earlier ahead of a speech at the party's virtual conference. Well, for more, let's bring in Pat McFadden, who's shadow economic secretary to the Treasury and Labour MP for Wolverhampton South East. Pat, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Now, I suppose what Annalisa Dodds was speaking to there is the central dilemma of all this, which is where you have the shadow of what we've heard might be 50,000 cases a day coming up in October. At the same time, how far do you suspend the economy when there's all these risks of mass unemployment? Where does Labour stand on this? What we've said all the way through is that you can't separate the health response from the economic response. And by that we mean there's no point, for example, in just saying we have to get everybody to go back to work and everything back to normal if we're not on top of the virus. You have to be on top of the virus for that return to normality to be successful. And from the briefing that we've just had from the chief medical and chief scientific advisor, uh, it looks like we are not on top of the virus right now. And they've given a very sobering warning of what will happen if cases continue to increase at their current rate. And they have, if you like, um, tried to dispel notions of complacency or the fact that we, you know, the thought that we would, 
simply be over this. And they are warning us. I think they are teeing up an announcement of uh, more restrictions within the next 48 hours. So given you say we shouldn't reopen until we have control of the virus, which clearly we don't, given the warnings that you just alluded to, do we need to think about closing schools, closing workplaces once again? Schools would be the last thing I would want to close. Uh, Children in this country and other countries around the world have missed out on six months of education this year. That hits hardest on the poorest children. Uh, Speaking personally, there's a lot of restrictions I would except in my own life, if I thought that by accepting them and doing them, it would keep schools open and stop long-term disadvantage to a generation of young children. So I think that's the last thing that we should do. But what we need to do is take the kind of measures that the chief medical officer and the chief scientific advisor were advocating, take the the personal responsibility around uh, washing our hands, wearing masks, keeping a decent space between one another. Uh, And I think there are likely to be further restrictions announced on household visiting. In my Wolverhampton constituency, for example, that's coming into force already tomorrow. It's already in force in parts of the country. I suspect we're likely to see that being adopted more widely. So it's not necessarily a switchback to the kind of lockdown that we had in March and April, but it will be more restrictions than we have right now in terms of household visiting and so on. Yeah, but Pat, I mean, a lot of people listening to exactly what you're saying there will say, hang on, this doesn't make sense. We have people getting on public transport to go to work. We have people in offices. Yes, there is lots of uh, things being done in terms of social distancing in offices, but nonetheless, those are enclosed spaces in which people will transfer infections. And while you're doing all the other things, you're undermining yourself by having those things go on. It's a a reasonable question. It's one that I put to my own uh, very good director of public health in Wolverhampton because people say, how is it that I can't go and visit my sister up the road, but I could meet her in the pub? You know, what's the sense behind that? And what I've been told is that through the uh, testing and tracing that they've been able to do, we might talk about that more in a minute because that system is under huge strain, but through the testing and tracing that they're able to do, they've identified that the majority of transmission is within households. And therefore, that, that is why the advice is focusing so much on household visits and minimising that kind of contact. Uh, so it's a reasonable question to ask, why is the pub open, but I can't go and visit my family? But I'm told that the testing and tracing of who people have been in contact with justifies that kind of restriction. And and what about enforcement? Because people clearly aren't following the rules. We're seeing these virus numbers go up and up and up. Uh, Keir Starmer came out over the weekend and said he backed fines for people, for example, who aren't quarantining. Uh, But how is that not an entirely baseless policy that cannot be enforced uh, without invading people's homes? We've had a a lot of um, discussion about this over the last week, haven't we? I mean, I think the vast majority of the population want to do the right thing. I think people have been through a lot, but they want to obey the rules. Uh, The chief medical officer, uh, Chris Whitty, just said, you can't just calculate your own risk in this because your risk is my risk. In a pandemic, we're all connected. uh, So we can't just uh, think about this as individuals. But when it comes to enforcement, I don't think anyone wants to turn the United Kingdom into a, a nation where we're all, you know, looking over the garden fence to see if, 
our neighbours are exactly obeying the rules. Enforcement should be really directed at the most egregious uh, examples of reckless behaviour. You know, the huge house party in the street, something like that, uh, which is an obvious and flagrant breach of the rules. And I think if we do that, then, uh, you know, I, I believe we can rely on the UK population in the vast majority to behave responsibly and do the right thing. Let me ask you specifically about some more of the economics, because on the furlough scheme, the cliff edge that we know is coming up at the end of October, Labour's been highly critical about that. Uh, one of your colleagues this morning was saying selected jobs of people, high skills should be helped until they can survive. But all this is building up enormous, even further amounts of money uh, in terms of public debt. And one of the things that Lisa Dobbs has been saying is we are reliable on the economy. It doesn't sound that way, does it? Look, I think uh, people are right to ask questions about the level of public debt. And Annalise Dodds, my colleague, in her speech that she's just given to the, the virtual online party conference, talked about examples of waste, for example, in the, the job retention bonus and some of the contracts for things which have been for equipment that hasn't worked and so on. But on this broader picture of uh, the level of public borrowing that has been necessary to get us through this, of course, uh, the UK government will always pay its debt. That's why it's thought to be a trusted borrower in the market. But I don't think it would be right for us to panic at the level of borrowing that is currently being incurred because we are doing this at a time of historically low interest rates. And actually, the amount of money they will have to pay back in interest on this borrowing is less as a proportion of our national wealth than we were paying some years ago. So even though the total amount of borrowing is high at the moment, it is affordable for the country because of the low level of interest rates. And it would be a mistake to think that because of that level of borrowing, we suddenly had to slam on the brakes, start jacking up taxes when the economy is in such a fragile state and when clearly, given the information we've had in the virus, more economic help of one kind or another is going to be necessary over the coming months. Uh, and today is your uh, what is the replacement for what should have been the conference. It's a time for reflection for the party. Uh, one thing I would put at you is something that's often levelled. Isn't Keir Starmer a little bit boring? And don't you need somebody who, in order to win in 2024, is going to bring a bit more passion to the party and to the country? Look, I think he's had a wonderful start as a Labour leader after the terrible defeat that we had last year following to our worst election result since 1935. Everybody is conscious of the mountain that we have to climb. Um, no leader gets to choose his circumstances and he's had to take over at this time of a pandemic. And I think for the six months that he's been in place, he's shown uh, a great deal of responsibility, maturity, and calm competence. And I think that's actually what the country needs right now. Uh, you know, we've had far too much uh, culture war, far too much talk of everything having to be world-beating. We just want systems that work. And Keir Starmer looks very well-fitted for that kind of power. Pat, he looks like a manager, not someone who's going to repair inequality. Look, uh, just because a guy wears a nice suit and he looks responsible doesn't mean he doesn't believe in things. Uh, and I believe that he does believe in challenging inequality. I believe he does 
realise there are big, big challenges facing the country. And I think we'll hear a lot of this tomorrow when he makes his uh, conference speech. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. And we start with that huge scoop out of a variety of sources over funding. It's one that impacts the Tories as well. The husband of one of the Conservative Party's biggest donors was secretly funded by a Russian oligarch with close ties to President Putin. This is Lubov Chanukin, who's given £1.7 million to the Tories, including paying to spend time with the last three prime ministers. Leak files show her husband received $8 million initially from a politician facing US sanctions due to his closeness to the Kremlin. And Chinookin's lawyers, lawyers, though, saying the donations are not tainted by Kremlin influence, but no doubt questions to be answered here by the Conservative Party after having accepted a lot of money. Yes, and it's not the first time that uh, links have been alleged, at least. Uh, Meanwhile, trouble on the back benches. Uh, The 1922 committee chairman, Graham Brady, has hit out at the government for what he calls ruling by decree on the virus. The Tory MP says Parliament must directly approve any new restrictions before they come into force. Now, Lady Hale, who's the UK's most senior former judge, famously involved, of course, in what went on last year in terms of Brexit at the Supreme Court, she's arguably gone further now, telling The Guardian that Parliament has surrendered its role when it allowed sweeping and draconian laws to be passed with only a few hours of debate. Yeah, weird one seeing Lady Hale and Graham Brady on the same side of an argument, but funny thing how... how these things turn out. Uh, And then one for train nerds here, I suppose, the UK government declaring the end of the country's rail franchising system while unveiling a multi-billion pound rescue deal to keep train operating companies afloat for the next 18 months. So under these new arrangements, taxpayers are going to carry on making up any shortfall in revenue until March of 2022. That shortfall, by the way, currently about half a billion pounds a month. And the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps saying that the new arrangement, which is known as Emergency Recovery Management Agreement, IRMA's, would shift the UK towards a new contracts-based system, and it's the biggest shake-up of the railways for a quarter of a century. So big change on the railways. Irmas. I love it when a new acronym comes down the line. That's, uh, that's a nice one. Meanwhile, now here's a tangled and interesting story. It comes from the Italian broadsheet newspaper La Repubblica. Now, it claims Boris Johnson made a secret trip to the country less than a fortnight ago, citing a statement from Perugia Airport. But a Downing Street man spokesperson said this story is completely untrue. The Prime Minister has not travelled to Italy in recent months. Anyone who publishes these claims is repeating a falsehood. Very weird one, this, isn't it? Lots of journalists scrambling to make some sense out of this this morning. Um, And we still haven't quite got to the bottom of it. But Downing Street, very, very clear on this, that it just didn't happen. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Let's go back to Labour's conference then, happening virtually this year. The speeches are still going ahead. We heard from Shadow Chancellor Annalisa Dodds a little bit earlier. Keir Starmer taking to the metaphorical podium tomorrow. But no votes, no fringe meetings, no opportunity for party members to mix and match. So what does this mean for Keir Starmer, who's not even six months into his leadership here? Joining us now to discuss 
discuss is Josiah Mortimer, editor of Left Foot Forward, a progressive left of centre blog. Josiah, at first glance, this looks like a bit of a blessing for Starmer. He doesn't have to face the membership physically, many of whom, lest we forget, are still momentum supporters, still Corbynistas. That's right. It's an absolute dream, I think, for a party leader to um, you know, be able to have a whole conference where, as you say, it's literally just giving a series of uh, broadcast speeches and um, absolutely no heckling from the usual party grassroots. So um, Kirsten was in a, in a strong position anyway, I think, this conference. But um, you know, the, it's not particularly fair to, to call it a conference. I don't think this is, as I say, just this sort of opportunity to put forward some of those key front benches that they're keen to push and develop some of those policy ideas and challenge. Yes, yeah, kind of management uh, management thing of, of, of how you get the party to look good in the right way. I mean, that's very much the old well, Blair style, I suppose, going right the way back. But, but Josiah, one of the interesting things here is to get a sense, I suppose, of what tensions there are in the party. Because uh, uh, as Seb was just saying, there are still momentum people there. There are still Corbynistas there. But have they been completely sidelined now? I mean, what's the, what's the mood in the party? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. I mean, it feels a lot like the left of the party are keeping their cards quite close to their chest at the moment. I mean, we've seen in recent days uh, momentum basically suggesting that they're going to focus on sort of grassroots organising, you know, standing up for people who are being evicted from their rented accommodation. Um, you know, although momentum have organised a sort of counter conference alongside it, it's, it's much like the normal Labour conference. It's a series of sort of siloed uh, broadcasts effectively to uh, to the membership. So. I think um, there has definitely been a, a lot of um, caution and, and a lot of anger from the, the left of the party, former Corbyn supporters, over, for example, the sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey over alleged anti-Semitism. Um, and also for, you know, Keir Starmer's stance on issues like pulling down statues. He's been quite cautious and, and tried to put forward, a, I think, a more measured uh, image than he, you might expect from the former Labour leader. Um, but I think at the moment it's, it's a little bit wait and see, and you know they're they're trying to find out where what their role might be under this new Kirstarm leadership. It also feels like wait and see for the new leadership as well. I mean, we've not really heard any detailed policies from them. Is this a clever move on their part, or is it something that could damage them later on as we hurtle towards 2024? That's right. I mean, there is this uh, saying, isn't there, don't interrupt your enemies while they're making mistakes. And um, there's certainly been plenty of those from the government during the, um, the COVID crisis. So I think the leadership are perhaps seeing this as a chance just to, um, you know, let the government sort of trip up, um, not particularly interrupt them too much while they're doing it. And then maybe later on, you know, develop this idea of, OK, what is what is Starmerism? I mean, it was interesting to see um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Starmer's spokesman was was asked in a, in a lobby journalist briefing, you know, uh, what policy should the government be introducing? Should, should they be introducing tax riders, for example, to pay for the cost of the pandemic? And um, Dharma's spokesperson sort of ruling out any of that. And I think they are very hesitant to, to put forward sort of big policy announcements um, while this pandemic is, is going on. But, you know, Annalisa Dodds, the uh, Shadow Chancellor, um, presenting her some of her ideas on, on economics uh, a short while ago. And during that, you know, she was very clear that she was critical of what she saw as excessive spending from the government, not, not an angle we'd usually expect from, uh, from the Labour Party. So, yeah, there's definitely um, some interesting themes emerging here, I think. Yes, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? I mean, when you consider how much uh, the Corbynistas said, well, hang on, the government's doing all the things they told us were impossible when we proposed them. And as you say, Annalisa Dodds seemed to say, hang on, don't go too far with the spending. And I suppose, I mean, isn't part of the problem in all this, Josiah, that you've got 
a man at the centre of it, Keir Starmer, who, well, to be brutal, he's a bit boring, isn't he? He's not someone who excites passion. You can't imagine his name being chanted at Glastonbury. And isn't passion what Labour needs? Well, I think there's, there's, a, there's definitely a big debate around this. I think looking at the sort of disaster that we've seen or, or that Labour would say we've seen over test and trace and the handling of the, the economic crisis that's associated with this pandemic, I think there is a certain uh, element of, well, maybe voters are looking for, for just someone who can steady the ship, really. Um, but of course, we're a long way from a general election, uh, four years until a general election, and there is plenty of time to sort of get their, get their house in order, as it were. Um, but then again, you know, Keir Starmer has also recognised that there is an enormous mountain to climb. I mean, you know, you only have to look at the, the figures of the massive increase in a Labour vote that will be needed at the next election in order for Labour to even win a majority of one. So I think they are, you know, definitely have, using this time to experiment uh, to a certain extent and see what, what does appeal to voters. Uh, it seems to be paying off a little bit. You know, Labour are now sort of neck and neck in, in the polls with the Conservatives. But... Keir Starmer's brand, it's interesting to note, is, is, seems to be stronger than Labour. He's more popular than, than Boris Johnson at the moment, while Labour and the Tories as parties are sort of neck and neck. So I think the, certainly the new slogan change, we've seen a new leadership. That, I think that's Keir Starmer trying to bring up that Labour brand uh, with him. What about the economy, though? Because you mentioned the polls, uh, the uh, parties neck and neck. But one area that Labour still lags is, is there that people, voters, just don't see them as being competent enough compared to the Tories. How can Labour turn that narrative around before the next election? That's right. I think, you know, we've there, there have definitely been points over the past few months where you think, well, right, this is where Labour would usually say, we need to spend, you know, X amount of money on uh, boosting this this sector, or you know, doing a massive jobs uh, program. Labour's slogan is at the moment sort of you know, as, as jobs, jobs, jobs. But I think they've been. It's interesting to see the shift in in narrative. As I say, Annalisa Dodds talking about the um, her opposition to what she called cavalier public spending, talking about much more targeted public spending to to deal with this pandemic. And that's definitely, I think, um, something that you might not have seen before. And I also think, you know, playing into this sort of idea of a constructive opposition, um, they are just trying to, to seem grown up, you know, saying that they want to get around the, the, the table with uh, with Boris Johnson, calling for him to set up COBRA meetings. And, you know, I, I can imagine Keir Starmer would probably want to chair one of those. <laughs> um, you know, so there is these very simple, easy wins, I think, that they're calling for, whether it's on the economy, on extending furlough, um, or, you know, um, making sure that people who are isolating have some form of payment. So these small wins are coming through, and I think they're, they're sort of aiming for those little victories rather than going sort of big bang on, on things that they won't necessarily be able to win. And finally, just rather briefly, um, slaying old dragons, what about anti-Semitism? Is that now buried? I mean, we do know there's a report by the Equality and Human Rights Commission coming around the corner. That's right. Yeah, this is this is definitely uh, not gone away fully. I think it's a, a certain you know kind of sleeping dragon. There is the uh, anti-Semitism report coming out from the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Um, there's also Labour's internal inquiry into the, the leaked report earlier this year, the sort of inquiry into an inquiry. Um, and both of those are, are really going to bring this issue back up again. I think he has tried to very much nip this in the bud. You know, whether it's taking sort of immediate action on on RLB or um, you know, immediately meeting up with uh, Jewish leaders um, to try and offer a, you know, a sort of clear signal to the public that 
you know, maybe some of the allegations of the past um, are being dealt with rapidly and, and put to one side. But yeah, I, I don't think that's um, going away anytime soon. And, and there will be that will be certainly back in, in Labour's public eye very soon. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.